Okay, Power Rangers, let's do it! Go, go, Power Rangers! <laughs> Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 32 of the Jetman with the Golden Gun, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Jojen Sentai Jetman. Every week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how you doing today? Man, uh, I am having a pretty good day. It's beautiful out. I got some iced coffee. Ooh. Yeah. Iced coffee might be my favorite form of coffee. Really? Yeah, I mean, like, listen, I like a good hot cup of Joe, hot cup of mud. Sure, some Java. Some Java, yeah. Uh, but I love iced coffee. Like, I really, I think it might be the best way to consume coffee. Not that that's relevant at all. I just dig it. No, but you know what is relevant, Dave? Is that today we are watching episode 32 of Chojin Sentai Jetman. It's called Wings, One More Time. And it has nothing to do with the television show Wings or the band Wings. Uh, even though both of those things are great. Was, were, were, were Wings ever on Wings? Like, did they ever manage to get that mashup happening? Because if they know. didn't, I feel like that's a really lost opportunity for a show that has been off the air for 20 years. Oh, gosh, probably at least. Uh, anyways... anyways. We, we are not here, <laughs> Dave, to talk about that. old Tony Shalhoub vehicles from the 80s or 90s. I don't remember. Probably not. We're here to talk about another show from the early 90s. Yeah, I don't know why I said that as though talking about a show from that long ago was completely anathema to what we do. <laughs> anyway, Dave. But before that, we got to get through just a little bit of something. It's our award-winning Opening segment, Dave. Shining in the heavens. There are five stars. What is our first star of the week? So this is a quickie, but the trailer for Doctor Strange came out, and boy howdy, does that movie look awesome. Now, Dave, you know I love Doctor Strange. I know. You're the only person I know that has both Doctor Strange shirt and socks and a mug I want to say. Uh, I did. Actually, after watching the trailer this week, I went into my Amazon cart and bought the Doctor Strange mug that had been sort of floating around in there for a month or two. When you put hot liquid in it, Dave, the mm-hmm. Eye of Akimoto appears. It's very that exciting. That is great. And I'm going to say, Matt, uh, you actually bear not a passing, little more than a passing resemblance to Doctor Strange, I've always thought. Uh, I've always, I have long hoped that my hair went gray in that very particular comic booky way that almost never happens to real people. Yeah, well, listen, man, uh, our hair is going to go gray. Our dad has made sure of that. Our dad is great. Sorry, not like he's causing it to happen. Our dad just went gray really early, and it's going to happen to us as well. But yeah, that would be great if you could just get the temples going. That would be ideal. But you know, like you've got a beard and you've got kind of a long face and dark hair and you sort of style it in the same, not like on purpose. You don't like have a Doctor Strange picture next to your mirror, but you do kind of look like Doctor Strange a little bit. Right. I don't like bring a Doctor Strange comic book with me to the hairdresser and say like, give me the strange. (laughs) 
I think you would get something very different if that happened. I feel like I would probably get kicked out of the haircutting place. Um, <laughs> that is probably what she would get. Yeah. Anyway, man, that trailer looked great. I was super excited that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is doing an American accent. Yes, I was a little concerned about that. I was really hoping they would not make him British, and they didn't, which is great. Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One? I did not know that casting. Because I have... Listen, like I'm not like super, super intense about it, but if there's a movie I'm really jazzed to see, I do, I'll watch a trailer, and aside from that, I make like a casual effort to not know anything about it, so that when I go to see it, you know, it's fresh. Yes, I, I actually have been doing the same. I um, like I know that Spider-Man is in that new Captain America movie, but other than that, I have done my best to avoid knowing what that movie is about. Right. I mean, aside from that it's called Civil War and you already sort of sure. know Sure, I about. mean, I can make certain assumptions. <laughs> but yeah, man, Tilda Swinton is the ancient one. I did not know that. I, do, I would not have ever guessed it, but it's rad. I will say that is the sort of thing that it's a definitely it's a deviation from the comics in a pretty serious way, but it's really imaginative and it's really cool and I think it's going to work really well. I think that's the best, a really good example of what is making these movies so great. So Tilda Swinton looks awesome as the ancient one, like Benedict Cumberbatch, Inception style, like psychedelic weirdness of how everything is moving. Like, the whole world in that trailer is moving around like a kaleidoscope. Like oh, my gosh. Exactly it looks exactly the sort of stuff I want out of a Doctor Strange movie. Right. It looks like those old... Who was it? Was it Ditko that wrote those or that drew those? Well, I mean, Ditko did the original stuff. Yeah. Uh, who was doing it in, like, the 60s and 70s with, like, when he's, like, off in the other world and it's, like, crazy, like, loopy roadways and stuff? Well, that stuff, that that look was established by Ditko, but a lot of people did it in that time period. I think... I want to say Gene Colan drew a bunch of that Doctor Strange stuff. That but I would, sounds familiar, I, I, but I'm not, I, I wouldn't go to the mat on talking. that. I, I have not looked this up, and it's been a long time since I've read those old Doctor Strange books. But uh, Yeah, and I don't know the dude who plays what I am assuming is Wong, but he also looks super rad. Uh, no, that's Baron Mordo. Okay, I wasn't sure, because he was all in green, but he looked like he was paling around with Doctor Strange. Yeah, so... they're doing... I don't... Again, I'm trying to sort of keep out of it, but they're... Baron Mordo is not being set up, at least in the trailers and stuff, as any kind of a villain. Oh, right on. No, that's really cool. So, yeah, Doctor Strange trailer. Super looking forward to it. It is coming out on my birthday. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to, to me in November. Yeah. But um, we'll talk about it more later, I guess, when it comes out. So in a couple of months, you can look forward to that from us. So our second star of the week, Matt, is a little bit of Fallout 4 news. I may have mentioned, okay, so I may have mentioned in the past, maybe once or twice, that Fallout 4 came out and it's a really excellent game, which it is. I believe it's tested in passing. Yeah, it may have come up, I don't know. But anyway, so uh, Bethesda has announced they were originally planning to do three pieces of DLC. Uh, The game has proven so popular that they have actually expanded that production schedule and they're going to do some more stuff, but they are on track to deliver the original three pieces. So the first piece came out last month, and it was called um, Automaton, and it, it was like maybe six or seven hours of gameplay, 
and then some new options. Yeah, and I and think the, we discussed that when it came out. Yeah, real briefly. And then the big one, the big like 20, 30 hour expansion is coming out next month and we will 100% talk about it. But they did put out an expansion this month and I've kind of got beef with it. And here's why. Okay, uh, in Fallout, So in Fallout 4, they introduced this really cool new thing where you are building your own settlements, right? You are like, you're defending them and like finding water and all of this stuff and it's really neat. And you are attracting settlers and you are building yourself like a little home in the irradiated wasteland that is the Fallout 4 universe, right? Right. So this deal, it was really fun for a while. But it eventually, at least for me, man, like it eventually got a little bit tedious going around and just like building and building and building and like putting together things and like wait so tell just, me what this DLC is I think I think oh, we have yeah, skipped yeah, yeah. over a crucial step of this conversation <laughs> in my mind I was sort of setting this statement up so what the DLC is is it's called Wasteland Workshop and all it is is a whole bunch of new construction options for the stuff that you can build in your settlements okay yeah, so but is it there's, sort of it's like not the like Skyrim a, DLC where like you can build a castle. A little bit, yes. But I actually think I'm pretty convinced that the reason you can build settlements in Fallout Four is because the Hearth Hearthfire Hearthstone Hearthfire DLC for Skyrim was so popular. Because it is, it's fun to build yourself like a house and a base, and you can set it up, and it's really neat. But the problem is is that the game came out in November, Bethesda. I've already done all of that. Like, I di- I built all my bases. They're built. I played the pants off that game. There aren't more places. I mean, there might be, but there's not really new places for me to build. I've got a bunch of settlements. So now here's this DLC, and I don't care. Right, I feel like, like sometimes I, Bethesda puts out DLC not for the people who bought the game when it came out, but for the people who never got around to it. Because like eventually, I'm going to play Fallout 4, and I'm going to love the fact that I have extra construction options, but I'm going to have yes. it from like day one of the game. Uh, so I'm looking forward to next month's DLC. This month's was kind of a flop for me. But uh, what, Matt, is our third star of the week? Uh, Dave, it is time... For Animaniacs. Holy crap, I was watching it last night. It's Zany to the Max. Dude, that show is so good. This is like a star slash public service announcement. If somehow you don't already know this, Animaniacs is on Netflix now. The whole thing. Yeah, and if you are somehow, like if you are listening to this and you are too young to have seen Animaniacs when it was out, like Animaniacs holds up. It does. We were Beth and I were watching it last night, and I was like vaguely concerned because obviously I haven't seen this cartoon in I don't know, man, at least sixteen or seventeen years, and I remembered it being so good, and I was afraid that it wouldn't be, and I was totally wrong. Okay, here's the crazy thing about Animaniacs. I was watching the first episode the other day, and Animaniacs just makes no like, apologies for the fact that it, like, it kind of assumes that you know stuff about Hollywood, but not even the Hollywood of, like, 1995. It assumes that, like, the watchers (laughs) of that show know stuff about, like, the historical, like, 
things that happened on the Warner Brothers lot. So, like, well, the, he- the, the first episode opens up, and it's black and white, and they're showing, like, cartoons of Humphrey Bogart. Like, children are watching this show. One of the first characters that you meet after, like, the first bit with uh, Yakko Wacko Dot and Dr. Scratch and Sniff and stuff is, like, the good feathers, the, the three pigeons. But one of them is just Joe Pesci, which, I mean, if you're eight and you're watching Animaniacs... And there's just a Joe Pesci pigeon. Like, it should not work, but for some reason it does. Well, it's all the all of those guys. Those are just the good fellas. It's not just Joe Pesci. Yeah, but I you know, Joe Pesci. I, I mean like, like Joe the Pesci one is the, the most, most like yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing that I really dug about Animaniacs is when I was a kid, I didn't know most of that stuff. But I still really liked the show. And now that I'm an adult and I do get all of those things, I sort of like it even more. And I dig any show that is ostensibly for kids, but recognizes that you, as the parent of those kids, will probably end up watching this thing anyways. Right. And there is some stuff in there just for you. Like, it's not for the kids at all. It would not even be appropriate for the kids. It's only there for mom and dad. And I think that's great. But that show totally holds up. Yeah, dude, it's great. I cannot wait until the other cartoons of that era are also starting to drop on streaming stuff. Like, I need to watch Freakazoid and Earthworm Jim and The Tick, and I need to do it today. (laughs) I was just going to say, I'm holding out for Freakazoid, which was also a killer show. One of my faves. But that is not available for streaming, so far as I know. If I'm wrong, listeners, please tell me. Please Uh, let us know. So, Dave, what is our fourth star of the week our fourth star of the week Matt is that yesterday it was our buddy Ryan's birthday party and so we were all you were there and I was there and a whole bunch of other friends were there and for the theme of the party first of all let me just say I think Ryan and Karen throw the best parties out of all of our friends yeah and I think honestly we've talked about it on the show before they throw our sort of annual um like holiday time costume party that we go to. Yeah, and it's great because here's the key. Here's the key. As adults, you might think that party activities are for kids. You're wrong. You're super wrong. You are dead wrong. Yeah, you should have a party with activities. Like set some party games up. It makes parties way better. Like two years ago, I had a birthday party. It was like a Beowulf birthday party because I'm an English teacher and a giant nerd. But we, I, I felt like it was a very good party, and we patterned it after Ryan and Karen's parties. We're like, we got to have activities. You got to have stuff to do. So this party was entitled The Battle of the Scowling Chins. So what we did is we just watched both Judge Dredd movies, the one like the Sylvester Stallone one from 1995 and the one from a couple of years ago with Carl Urban. Let me start by talking very briefly about the one with Carl Urban. Uh, It's a great movie. Like, it's a super fun action movie. But it's just Judge Dredd shooting bad guys in the face for two hours. There's very little plot to this film. Well, what I really like about the the Carl Urban Dredd movie is that it's, like... In contrast with the Stallone movie, that is just like a day in the life of Judge Dredd. Like, right. That is just him going to work in the morning and what he does that day. And he goes home at the end of his shift and like, that's his day. 
And it's a crazy yeah. day, and he fights people, like, you know, with a lot of interesting guns and, like, weird drugs that make things go into bullet time. But, like, there was not really an overarching, like, epic plot like they had tried to do in the Stallone movie. It is literally yeah. just Judge Dredd goes to work and shoots people. Right. <laughs> the best part about it is that in the Carl Urban movie, Dredd never acknowledges that anything unusual is happening. That's the best part. Is like he said, this is just a day at work, and he kills like a hundred dudes, maybe more. Yeah, like Mega City <laughs> One is a bad place, and he is dealing with it. That is the plot of this movie, <laughs> right? And then when he's done, he just gets on his bike and drives away, like onto the next shift, I guess. However. As much as I actually prefer the Carl Urban film, there is a degree to which it pales in comparison to the 90s-tastic action smorgasbord, I guess, that is the Sylvester Stallone version of Judge Dredd. because here's the thing. I had never seen the Stallone movie before yesterday. Yeah, me neither. And, like, I've always heard terrible things about it, and I gotta tell you, I don't hate it. I really didn't hate it. Like, listen... Like, Rob Schneider feels like he wandered in from a completely different movie. Like, anytime he says anything, it kind of takes you out of it. But other than that, like, it's just this weird, amazing movie that at some point becomes about, like, the ethics of cloning, I think? Dude, it's real strange. Uh, the, the thing that threw me off about it is it did not seem like Judge Dredd. Um... So first of all, at one like Sylvester Stallone spends a fair amount of time in this movie with his Judge Dredd helmet off, which and I'm not sure about this because I'm not like super up on my Judge Dredd lore, but in the comics, Dredd literally never takes his helmet off, I, or if he I does, you never correct. see it. Yeah, like you never see anything aside from this dude's chin. And, like, they're talking about, like, love and, like, humanity and what is it like and then cloning and, like, how rough the city is. And, like, and the there's this great sequence near the end of the movie where Stallone, like, he gets progressively more and more shirtless as the scene goes on. Because, <laughs> like, he starts wearing, like, his judge's outfit. And then he takes off, like, the giant golden eagle pauldrons. Which look absurd. Oh, they're amazing. Dude, the outfits in that movie were designed, I think, by Versace. Yeah, by Gianni Versace. Um, uh, so, so then he's just wearing, like, his tunic, and then that comes off, and he's got, like, a like a judge t-shirt on underneath. And then eventually that comes off, and he's just wearing, like, a tank top. It is great. Like, every time the camera comes back to him, he's wearing less and less shirt. <laughs> um, so... Here's what I will say for Judge Dredd. Like, I had fun watching it. Like, I felt like it was good for a laugh. And there were a couple of really cool practical effects in it. They did some neat stuff with, like, prosthetics and puppets. As a movie, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was that great. But I had a good time watching it. So maybe it was a great movie. Anyway, Dave, uh, you want to talk about another movie? Because I'm ready to go on to our fifth star. Oh, yeah. So tell us about uh, the fifth star. Dave... After we finished watching those two movies yesterday, I went home and I decided to watch another movie. Uh, one that very briefly features Carl Urban as well. 
Oh. Dave, I watched the 2013 Riddick movie. Dang, that's a good movie. Okay. I like that movie a lot. Can, Dave, can we talk about Riddick? Yeah, we can. Now, I want to preface this by saying I love the Riddick movies. Like, I love the Riddick movies. I also just love Vin Diesel. Oh, absolutely. But, like, specifically, man, like, I loved Pitch Black, and then I, like, I saw the Chronicles of Riddick in the theater and did not regret it. Like, I genuinely yeah, no, like the Chronicles either. of Riddick. Yeah, it's a cool movie. Oh, wait a minute. No, I have not seen Riddick. Oh, yeah, Riddick came out, like, two years ago, dude. Okay, let me tell you about Riddick. Because I saw the first two. I got very confused when you said Chronicles of Riddick and then Riddick. I forgot that there was another movie. I haven't seen it. Yeah, Dave. There is a third Riddick movie, fourth if you count the anime. Um, which, by the way, did you remember that there was a Riddick-like anime movie? I did know that, although I haven't seen it. I watched it once years ago. So here's what I realized about Riddick movies when I was watching it last night. And yeah, listen, if you're listening at home and you're starting to think that the word Riddick sounds weird when you hear it this many times in a row, I feel the same way. Um, but we're just going to have to power through this together. So what I realized about Riddick movies is that Riddick is Space Conan. And let me Dang, explain totally what I mean right. by that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. You're right. Because Conan But go ahead and stories, say it. Like, they all take place within the life of Conan, but, like, right. when it starts, Conan can either be, like, a pirate, or a thief, or, like, lost in a desert, or, or chained whatever. up in a dungeon, or he could be the king of Aquilonia. And just, like, it doesn't matter, that's where the story starts, this is what Conan is doing today, and, like, we're just gonna go for it. And, like, it exists within a larger timeline, but you're only sort of getting this one slice of it. And, like, I was watching this movie last night, and that is exactly what it is, like... Riddick, who starts off in, in Pitch Black, I don't even think that Vin Diesel had, like, top billing. He was just a guy in that movie. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, he's really definitely the biggest part of the movie, but... But he's not, like... I don't think he's the main character. He's, like, the dude who is, like, wandering around the shadows. Um, I think, again, it's been a while since I've seen Pitch Black, but, like, in my recollection, Pitch Black is basically, like... Like, they made a movie, like, they really wanted to make a movie that was like Alien, and so they made Pitch Black, or like Aliens. Mm -hmm. And so they do this, and then, like, five years later, out of nowhere, The Chronicles of Riddick is about, like, all of a sudden, this dude is the last of the Furians, uh, a race of people <laughs> from planet Furia, because guess what? They're all furious. Um, he's the last of his race... Um, there is a prophecy about him. He goes to war against, like, this cult army called the Necromongers. Oh my gosh. And by the end of the Chronicles of Riddick, a movie which I will remind you, featured in a key role, Dame Judi Dench. Yeah, I have actually Chronicles read- Chronicles of Riddick, he is the king of the Necromongers. I have <laughs> read I have read an interview with her about that movie and she was basically like yeah um I'm not really sure how I ended up in that movie or what my part was but like uh Vin Diesel just super duper wanted her to do it and like found out where she was and sent her like a hundred roses and like called her and asked that her out to amazing. dinner 
And so Vin basically just straight up charmed Judy Dench into appearing in this bizarre role in this otherwise like totally bananas action movie. And uh, and here's the great Dame Judy Dench. And like, like it has nothing to do with like Pitch Black. Like the things that were established about that character in Pitch Pitch Black are like reversed and rewritten in Chronicles of Riddick. A movie which you know was going to be like Chronicles of Riddick Part 1. Like, imagine a world where that movie had taken off, and instead of having, like, Fast and Furious 8, we were getting, like, Chronicles of Riddick Part 8. But, like, oh, man, that don't is just what with Vin that Diesel world. has been doing for the last, like, 15 years. Like, listen, I like the Fast and the Furious movies, but I way would have rather had, like, an eight-part saga of the Chronicles of Riddick. There is a bit in the, tra- the trailer for the Chronicles of Riddick where someone says, like, he's beginning to understand. And this huge energy wave, like, explodes from the character of Riddick. Oh, dude, that you scene is know. in the movie. Dude, that you know, because Vin... Movie. That ability is not in the movie. That is a thing Listen, in the trailer that is never referenced again. Vin is a giant nerd, and you know, you know for a fact that there is a gigantic backstory for, like, the Furians and Riddick and, like, what's going on and, like, what his superpowers were eventually going to be that we will never get. And it only exists as a beautiful dream inside the mind of Vin Diesel. So, the actual Riddick movie, the thing that I have been talking like around for the last few minutes, it starts off, Riddick is still the Lord Marshal of the Necromongers. Awesome. Like, roll that sentence around in your head for a while. Um, but he really wants to find his home planet. The only one who can find it for him is... Like, one of his commanders, Carl Urban, who was in Chronicles of Riddick, and has, like, come back in this movie as though anyone remembers what happened in the Chronicles of Riddick, a movie that was, like, ten years old when Riddick came out in 2013. But, like, Riddick does not act as though it is, like, it has been ten years since you have watched a Riddick movie. It just drops you in as though Riddick is a TV show that you have been watching, like, nonstop for ten years. <laughs> it just assumes that, like, oh, yeah, of course, here's Lord Varco of the Necromongers. He hates Riddick because of a thing. So Riddick ends <laughs> up getting, like, stranded on this planet and cursing himself because, like, he allowed himself to get too civilized. Then he has to, like, make a bone club that is also, like, a giant switchblade to fight a lizard monster with a, like, venom stinger? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, I gotta watch this movie now. Um, I mean, and then, like, I had planned of... to, but... And then after that happens, like, like he's done with the Necromongers because they've abandoned him on this planet. And then, basically, Riddick becomes, like, a direct sequel to Pitch Black, where, like, the dad of one of the bounty hunters from Pitch Black is after Riddick and they're on a planet with these crazy monsters that only attack like during like the night when it's raining. (laughs) And then at the end of the movie well do you care if I spoil Riddick for you Dave? Nah go So at the end of the movie he goes like he gets free obviously he goes back to the Necromongers and then like kills the dude who betrayed him and asks a question about, like, where can I find the person who was supposed to have brought me home to, like, Planet Furia? And they say, oh, like, he's somewhere between life and death in this black hole. 
And then someone just says the word transcendence. And then the credits start to roll. There is no music playing over the credits. That is Riddick. It's great. Oh. (laughs) Because it acts as though there's going to be a new Riddick movie next week. But there might never be another Riddick movie. (laughs) Listen, man. Uh, Vin has a dream. And that dream is that people will finally let him make all the Riddick movies that he wants. And he is going to live that truth uh, until it happens. I feel like he writes a new Riddick movie every year, but he only gets to make one every, like, five to ten years. And we just have to assume, like, we just have to guess what was in those movies that never got made. (laughs) Anyway, but Dave, something has been made for us to watch, and it is Jetman. We're going to go watch episode 32, and we will be right back. All right, welcome back. So we have just finished watching episode 32, Wings, one more time. And uh, as you may recall, this is part, it's actually part three of a multi-part. Yeah, so this is the third part of a sort of convoluted three-part episode. Our bad guys for this are like the demon lords Gorg and Ramon that have been on Earth since the beginning of time, and they are super powerful, and Radigat is trying to get them to serve the Virum, and they say, no, we're not going to. But we got a real shocker in the last episode, and it's this. The Virum commander, Maria, is who was played by is, was, is, played by the same actress that plays Ryu's long-dead girlfriend, Rie, is in fact Rie. They are the same person. So when Rie got sucked into the infinite blackness of space, she was picked up and through circum... and through a thing that we don't know how it happened, she was turned into Maria the Virum Commander. And there was a brief period in the last episode where she turned back to Rie, Ryu obviously loses his mind because Rie and Justice are the only things that Ryu loves in this world. Right. But, right, he, you know, he was trying to help her and then Radigat appears and turns her back into Maria. So she's Maria again. Uh, Ryu does not deal with it well. Understandably so. Sure, he was having a bad day anyway because, and here's one more thing that has been going on in this three-parter, is uh, Guy and Kauri have finally gotten together. Right. Uh, and then, immediately following that, they both quit the Jetman. Yeah. Well, okay, Guy Ka- quit the well, Jetman okay. and kind of dragged Kauri with him. Exactly. And so at the very end of last episode, Maria appears, she attacks Ryu, Ryu cannot bring himself to fight her, and the episode just ends with Ryu with her weird like energy whip thing around Ryu's neck, and she is standing on his head. And that is where we pick up this week. Yes. This episode begins with Ryu convalescing at Sky Camp. Now, he is again, uh the end of that fight that we saw was Maria literally standing on his head while choking him out. Uh, and then somehow he gets back to Sky Camp because I guess Maria has just decided to let him go. I listen. This is a thing that's that Jetman does. They just do it. 
scenes just end and you would assume that a character would be dead and they're not. And Maybe listen, there man. is something secretly in the back of Maria's head that is still Rie that refuses to kill Ryu no matter how many times she says she wants to. At this point, I'm largely willing to look past it, but this is a pretty egregious, like... It's not like he got blasted and could have run away. He's literally got his neck wrapped up and she is standing on his head. How does he... Okay, okay look, how we just got to move past We're it. never going to answer that question. So he does get away somehow. Um, yeah. And he is back in Sky Camp. He is waking up and Raita and Akko are there. And they're very excited to see that he is not dead. Yeah, and he gets up, and Ryu says, Guys, I've got great news! Rie is back! We can help her, we can save her! Chief walks in, and <laughs> just drops a bucket of ice water on Ryu's soul. <laughs> He's like, Ryu, you are the greatest warrior on the planet, you're the leader of the Jetman, Rie is dead and gone, and you cannot help her, you need to destroy the Vyrum. Now, Ryu, okay... Here's, I think you misspoke a moment ago, Dave, because you were saying, like, she is back and we can help her. He has gone well beyond that at this point. In Ryu's mind, Rie is back, and he is going to go give her a phone call, and they're going to have lunch. Like, that is where Ryu is right now. Like, he has yeah. had a complete break with reality, and he thinks that, like, Rie is back, and they're just going to go chill on a swing set. And everything is fine. He does not need to worry about the Jetman or anything like that. So we leave there, and we have just Kauri and Kai, and they're at dinner. And there's something very significant that I did not actually notice until the end of the episode, but is true, is that Kauri still has her cross-changer on. Guy does not. And so it's pretty clear that although Kauri has gone along with Guy, like we said before, she hasn't really left the Jetman in the same way that Guy has. Like, she's still on Team Jetman, you know what I'm saying? Right. And so they and sit so, at lunch on a boat, I think? It looks like they're on a boat. It looks like a boat. Um, like, not out at sea. It's just like a restaurant on a boat at dock. Uh, so technically, That's uh, a thing. Like so many other times, they're at the docks. <laughs> and so Kauri says, hey, guy, listen, you're concerned about something. Like, what are you thinking about? And he says, I'm thinking about you, baby. He doesn't say baby. That was mine to add emphasis. And she says, no, you're not. I can tell you are thinking about the others. You're thinking about the other Jetmen. And Guy says, I thought this this actually was a legit good piece of writing. Guy says, no, we're free now. Which I really dug as a piece of writing because that really gives us some insight into what is going on in Guy's head. Re the Jetmen. It's not necessarily, I think, that Guy has a problem with being a, a good guy. He just doesn't want to feel like he has to, right? Right. He feels he so is, trapped like, into being a Jetman sometimes. And now yes. and like now that he has left and he's out with Kauri, he feels like he can just like they can just be themselves and hang out and they don't have to worry about all that crap. Yeah. So, unfortunately, they do 100% have to worry about that crap. That's really yeah, important it is, for both them and the rest of everyone else on Earth. Yeah, it's still super a big deal. So we go from there, and we see Lords, Demon Lords, Gorg, and Ramon. And we actually do find out which one is which, because now when they start talking to each other. So Gorg 
is a dude that has like a weird vacuum cleaner face a little bit. And Ramon looks like a big green bat person. Not that you yes. care because you haven't necessarily watched the show, but it helped me out a lot. So Gorg is dying. He was attacked at yes. the end of the last episode. And Ramon is like, okay, um, you will now continue to live within me. And he shoots these tendrils out and that like wrap around Gorg's body. Uh, by the way, at some point in this episode, uh, although he had previously been referred to as Gorg, uh, the subtitlers have now started to call him Org. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Uh, anyway, so Gorg slash Org uh, is now being wrapped up in these tendrils and his life force is being sucked into Ramon, who is going to be like twice as powerful and then he's just going to go on a rampage. I really dig this idea for like Lords Gorg and Ramon that they are, that the reason, because there's only two of them, right? But the way that they talk, it sounds like there used to be like way, way more that they used to rule the earth. And so now, headcanon, these dudes, whoever they are, when one of their race dies, they have the ability to absorb them and get more powerful. So there's Which like is a static amount of power for that race. It's just being slowly consolidated into one dude. <laughs> yeah, like Jet Li's The One. I was just going to say like Jet Li's The One. That was a good movie, man. And so this is Ramon's plan. He says, listen, I'll absorb you. You'll continue to live through me. But Radigat chooses this moment to attack. He interrupts the merge. Like he jumps in and he cuts the tendrils with his sword. Yeah, so Ramon and Radigat are fighting for like a hot second, and then we see Gorg's body start to float up, and Gray appears behind it, and he is holding the comatose form of Lord Gorg. Uh, Radigat gets a shot off, Ramon is staggered a little bit, and then Gray holding Gorg and Radigat all just sort of peace out. Right, now you say the comatose body, I feel like Gorg might be dead already. And, that like, could... there is an energy okay. within him that is going to be absorbed, but, like, Gorg is not coming back. Oh, okay. You know, I figured that he was, like, kind of knocked out and dying. But whatever. Like, he's definitely not, like, moving around or anything. Honestly, the visual cue that led me to assume that he was full-on dead is that there is no longer a human person within the Gorg costume. Like, it is just, <laughs> like, this empty rubber suit that is being carted around. I did not notice that, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense as to why he's dead. So we actually follow Radigat and Gray and Gorg to the Viram dimension. So Gorg and Ramon, we find, like Radigat says, he's explaining to the other Viram commanders, he says, listen, I think that these dudes can merge, that they can be like joined together somehow. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm basically going to booby trap Gorg so that when Ramon goes to merge with him, I will enslave them both. And then I will finally get my, like, demon lord warrior to help me kill the Jetman. Which is actually yes. a pretty good plan. So what he does is he just starts, like, as though Gorg's corpse is like a Thanksgiving turkey. He just starts stuffing it with biodimensional bugs. Yeah, yeah. It's very... Well, we actually don't see him do this. All we see is that he has a biodimensional bug, and we find out later that this is what he has done. Oh, that's uh, right. Which that's is... Right. 
Yeah, which is gross uh, in the extreme. Just jamming a, a demon lord corpse full of horror bugs. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that one that is a bad day for most people involved. Yeah. So we go from there and we see Ryu and he is sitting on, sitting on like a hillside and there's some steps there. And at first I thought that he was remembering Rie. Uh, what is actually happening is that he is hallucinating Rie. Yeah, so he thinks that she is, like, down at the bottom of the hill running around. Uh, she is not. She is yeah. Maria. Ooh. She's in the Byron dimension. She is plotting his death. Um, yeah. It could not be further from the truth. So Akko and Raita show up, and they're just like, dude, what is going on with Ryu? And then the chief is there, and she says, after his heart got broken, he has lost touch with reality. Like, he managed to keep it together, thinking that Rie was dead, and, like, that was a real bummer, but he still loved justice, and everything was, if not great, at least functional. Right. But now, but now that he has that... seen Rie back and knows right. that she's around, like, his mind has just broken. Yeah, he's he's done, man. He is totally checked out. So the chief actually like runs over and like shakes him and says, Ryu, you are the leader of the Jetman. You've got to snap out of it. And Ryu just stands up, looks at her, and just kind of walks away. And we get, he's just, you know, man, he, he's totally gone. Right. So we cut back to the quarry where Ramon is still like hanging around. Uh, yeah, Radigan has brought Gorg's body back. And... Like, he does not attempt to explain why he's doing this. He just shows up holding Gorg's body, and Ramon attacks him. He's like, aha, like, how dare you return here? Like, I don't know what part of him does not realize that this is a trap. <laughs> because it's very obviously a trap. But he does not catch it. So he launches a couple attacks at Radigat. Radigat basically takes a dive. And he's kind of lying on the ground, and then you see the classic one eye open, sort of glancing up from the ground, looking at this thing about to happen. So Lord Ramon completes the merge, like the tentacles shoot out of his back is kind of what it looks like. And like, as he is absorbing all the energy from Gorg's corpse, like, what is it, four biodimensional bugs jump out and latch onto Ramon? Yeah, and let me be clear... These biodimensional bugs are not just being launched from, like, off-camera. You see, like, they cut a hole in the Gorg costume and are just tossing the bugs out of it. It is very clear that these bugs have been nested in Gorg's, like, chest cavity and are now crawling out and launching themselves at Lord Ramon. It looks real goofy, in practice, because it's all rubber costumes. But if you just think about it happening, it's uh, very unsettling. It's genuinely horrifying if you really take the time to think about it. So now here's what we've got. We have got Ramon. Ramon has all the power of Ramon and Gorg, and theoretically, um, their entire everyone race. else who has ever been a member of their race. He has also been powered by at least four biodimensional bugs, and he is now under Radicate's control. Yeah, and it seems like, because before Gorgon Ramon were sentient, I guess, it seems like all of the power has kind of messed with Gromon, whatever, Lord Ramon's head, and now he is just sort of like a savage beast of a monster. And he's got a wig on top of his, like he's got hair on top of his head, which is very strange, and then he's got four big, like, head tentacles, 
yeah, they're just sort of drooping down. It's a weird look. Yeah, it's not actually super cool. But he has weird head tentacles and he starts rampaging. We flash back. Akko and Raita show up and they have found Kaori and Guy. And they are explaining what is going on with Ryu. They're like, dude, it's it's a real problem. We're not really sure how to do it. And Guy says, dude, he just needs to put aside his emotions like he's always telling me. So good on you, Guy, for flipping that script. Yeah. And then this is great. So, this is such a cool moment. So Raita is like, man, like, it's just such a bummer. Like, honestly, like, I look up to, I used to look up to Ryu so much, but when I look at him now, it's really just kind of pitiful. And Guy turns on Raita, like, grabs him, and is like, you never talk bad about Ryu. He's the greatest warrior on the planet. And then I, th- it feels like almost Guy realizes what he's just done, and he says, I'm the only one who can make fun of him. Yeah, like, he might not like the dude all the time, but he has gained, like, a real admiration for him and, like, refuses to hear anyone talk badly about them. Which is sweet. So, we go from there, and we just see... We get, like, a quick shot of Lord Ramon slash Bio-Beast, the monster. We get a quick shot of the monster, Tentacle Head. We get a quick shot of Tentacle Head, just like energy blasting and like knocking buildings over and stuff. No, he's uh, not it's not really called Tentacle Head, but if this costume ever made it into an American Power Rangers show, you can bet your bottom dollar that he would have been called Tentacle Head. Yeah, without, without question. So we go from there, and we just see the chief and Ryu, and she just says, Ryu, you're stronger than this. And then the scene ends. And then we get, it's actually a tiny bit creepy it, to me. We just get this picture of Ryu on a swing set. And I think it's creepy because it's like a very innocent, like childlike thing that he's on these swings. And he looks over and he sees like Phantom Rie and he's sort of happily swinging. So Guy and Kaori arrive and Ryu greets them. He says, Guy, Kaori, how good of you to come. It's good to see you. And then he gestures to the empty swing and says, have you met my girlfriend, Rie? Like, it's so nice. I'm pleased to introduce you. By the way, this whole time, like, the empty swing is swinging back and forth, which is very weird, and it continues to happen throughout the entire time they're in the park. Well, Matt, I don't know if you caught it. There is a really brief shot where Ryu actually stands up and kind of puts his hand on the swing and keeps it swinging. I did see that, but this swing is going to keep going for a few minutes after Ryu has left. And, like, I don't know if there's a reason other than they wanted it to make that squeaky sound in the background. But it's a little weird. So Guy kind of runs over. So he says, have you met my girlfriend, Ryu? Guy sort of runs over and takes him by the lapels. And he's, he says, Bastard! He says, you're the greatest warrior. You need to get, like, he basically just says, you got to get yourself straight, dude. Yeah, he says, you're, this you're is a problem. You're the greatest warrior in the world, and I can't stand seeing you like this. And he's, like, holds him by his lapels and pulls his fist back and is about to punch him in the face. Then he hesitates and just, like, reaches in for this big, like, hug. And he's just, like, hugging it out with this dude, like, like you do what you like. Like, I know do. that you'll be okay. Yeah, 
it's a it's a really great moment. It's like you do what you've got to do. We've got to go fight. Like I will be waiting for you. We will all be waiting for you. Like please come back to us. And then they just leave because they gotta go fight this. They gotta go fight Tentacle Head. Right. So Guy and Cowrie are out. Uh, we see a quick shot of them like on a motorcycle. We flip back to Ryu on the swing. Well, and while they're and on the motorcycle, Guy is like, I, I couldn't get through to him. Like, I've failed. There's nothing I can do. And he's really upset about it. And Kaori is just sort of quietly sympathetic. So we go back. We see Ryu on the swing. And he he's having, like, mental anguish. You know what I mean? Like... In some way, we catch the idea that he is doing this Rie hallucinating thing as a sort of a mental shield against dealing with what's actually happening. But in the middle of that... trying to reassert itself in his head. uh, Yeah, and it's very... It's upsetting for him. So while this is happening, he's just attacked by Maria. And she's she also... She's kind of having a similar experience, actually. Like, the reality of the fact that she is Rie... It's sort of trying to assert itself for her, and she's very upset about it. So as they're fighting, like they keep sort of going back and forth, and Ryu isn't really fighting back. Like he is just getting whipped around and exploded by Maria. Until yeah, because he can't. And like I said, like, it's weird that the swing is still going, but like the swing is still going in the background. He hears it, and he has another like hallucination. Of Rie still on that swing, and he looks back at her, her sort of like spectral image, and like in this moment he's starting to come to because he's realizing like I need to be strong for Rie, even though she's currently trying to murder me. Yes, but that if I am maybe strong enough, I will be able to like save her. So he picks so up his we... cross changer. Well, we, we do flip from there, actually, Matt, to the fight in the city between the remaining four Jetmen and Tentacle Head. And he pulls that really cool, like, Astro Circus turning into a fireball move. And then they are in a quarry again somehow. Like, they're surrounded by trees and buildings, and then they're in a quarry. Yeah, sorry, there's a lot of jumping around in this episode. It is kind of difficult to keep track of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- like, this scene particularly, they're, like, flipping back and forth very quickly between Ryu slash Maria fighting and then the rest of the Jetman and Tentacle Head. So, we get, like, again, we get a quick shot of the fight between the remainder of the Jetman and Tentacle Head, and then we flash back to Ryu and Maria. So, Ryu is still, like, not really fighting back much, but he's at least, like, at least his head is more sort of in the game now. And he looks back to that spectral form of Rie one more time, and says, like, Rie, please make my weak heart stronger. And Yeah, then, that's a cool move. And then Maria goes to whip him again. He grabs the whip and, like, yanks her back towards him. And instead of kicking her in the face, which is, I guess, his normal move, like, he catches her in an embrace, and they're just hugging. And this hug, like, he says, he calls her Rie, and he says... Like, I will save you, I promise. Like, I will not rest until I have you back. But right now, I have got to go fight with the Jetmen. And he just runs away. And Maria is so uh, maybe stunned 
by this, or maybe the idea is that he introduces so much like psychic turmoil by insisting that she's Rie and she actually is, that it kind of shorts her out. And she's just sort of standing there watching Ryu leave. Yeah, it's a very cool moment. Like, she's just sort of standing there shaken. And we cut away from there, and we go back to the fight. And it's like, okay. guys, I love this This is fight. so good. So the Jetmen are losing. They need the power of five. Uh, the Lord Ramon Tentaclehead manages to blast them hard enough that they fly out of their cross-change form. They're just lying on the ground as themselves. Which sucks for them, Re- but is great for like cinematic moments that are upcoming. Yes. So Ryu arrives. He did take the time to change his shirt, which is a tiny bit weird. He did. He changed into his stripey shirt. I forgot all about that. Yeah, he did. He was wearing a white t-shirt this whole episode, and when he gets here, he's wearing his red stripey t-shirt. So Ryu arrives. And he just starts, like, power striding towards Tentaclehead. And there's, like, explosions going off around him. Uh, Cool guys don't look at explosions. He's just walking through them. It's rad. And then uh, Tentaclehead shoots a giant energy blast at him. And all we see is Ryu standing there as the world around him explodes and is engulfed in fire. And then when the fire clears, he is cross-changed, and he has his bringer sword, and he is just standing like a total boss. It's awesome. It's amazing. That is one of my... And we have seen this kind of transformation a few times, and it is one of my favorites. Like, the flames clear, and he is standing there, like, unscathed, just ready to murder you. Yeah, so... He's, he calls to the other Jetman, and he's like, let's do this. Uh, so he's cross-changed. They cross-changed. We get the full, like, Trojan Sentai Jetman. They all introduce themselves. The theme song is playing in the background. Uh, they all bust out their winged gauntlets, and they just proceed to lay the smackdown on Tentacle Head. They do those g- cool, like, one-two punch moves where, like, Ryu punches him, and then he stands there, and then Raita and Guy jump off of Ryu's shoulders, and they punch him, and then they stand there, and then Kaori and Akko jump off of their shoulders and shoot, like, the laser beams out of their wing gauntlets. It's great. I, like, there is no reason for those to ever actually do more damage than when they just attack normally, but I always love, like... The idea that teamwork for the Jetman means jumping off of somebody else's shoulders. They're really great. It's like Leapfrog, but with violence. So the best kind of Leapfrog. So so they take out Tentacle Head, and then he turns into Giant Tentacle Head. Ryu calls for the Jet Machines to scramble. They arrive, they form Jet Icarus. This is sort of a weird moment. So Jet Icarus starts fighting Tentacle Head. Jet Icarus never actually attacks. He is just on the defensive the whole time. And then while still in Jet Icarus, they say, oh, we need to call Jet Garuda. So then they call Jet Garuda, and Jet Garuda does all the fighting. I don't know why they bothered to call Jet Icarus. Well, it's not that Jet Garuda does the fighting. Remember, they combine into like the giant plane version that combines everything into like the one huge ship. 
Oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense. I did not catch that, actually. I thought it was just them. Because you see them in the cockpit, and it's still Jet Icarus's face. Like, you see the giant nose underneath the glass of them. So I did not realize that they had combined. I thought that they were just telling Jet Garuda what to do. Ah, uh, I understand. No, they had combined like, the giant version of the plane that, like, if you spent, like, $150 on all the toys, you could put the whole thing together. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. So they launched something called the Hyper-G attack, which is like a super blasty... Th- it's like the Phoenix one from Jet Icarus before where they just turn into a fireball and hit the bad guy, but it's got... It's cleaner, I guess. The energy isn't fire. It's just like glowy blue energy. Well, listen, there's more robots attached to it, and so the attack is stronger. Naturally. Because that is how robots work. The so more massive they... robot is there... Uh, I'm sorry, the more, not massive, like the greater the mass of total of the robots, present robots combined in that contraption, the more damage it will do. Right. Well, that's just how, that's basic robotics. Everybody knows that's the that. the fourth law of robotics. Right. So uh, they take out Tentacle Head. That's it for him. We go back to the Viron dimension. Radigat is furious. He's very upset. The other Vyrum commanders are not sympathetic, but they just say, listen, ah, well, whatever. And they all walk away. Maria, however, is still staring at the telescreen, and she is angry. Livid. And what she says is that she will kill... Next time she sees Ryu, she says, I will kill you with my bare hands for this embarrassment. So it seems like maybe... The Maria personality is, like, fighting for survival, I guess, and is furious with Ryu that it is making her remember that Rie is the real Rie. Does that, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a little ambiguous right now, but that's basically, it it seems like that is what is happening. In, In any case, she is very upset. Like, this, like, I feel like the end of this episode could have gone two ways. One, Maria being like, Red Hawk, who are you? Like, you know, that sort of thing where, like, yeah. it's showing that Rie is sort of starting to reassert herself. Uh, this does the opposite of that. It's like, no, 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 no. Maria is still Maria, and she is still desperately trying to murder them. So we, we cut more from there. for this to play out. <laughs> so we cut from there to the last scene, and it is Ryu, and it seems like he's alone, but it's not. And he is at Rie's grave. Something I never noticed, and I feel like I should have noticed in the past, because he's been wearing this jacket. But the back of Ryu's jacket just says, Gathering of the Clan. Oh, yeah. In English. I I, I thought we had talked about that before, because he used to have a jacket that said Posh Boy on it. I remember Posh Boy. I don't remember Gathering of the Clan. I have no idea what clan or what that's supposed to mean, but that's what his jacket says. So he has some flowers, and he puts them on Rie's grave, and he says, Rie, I will remember you, and in this moment, I, you know, I still sort of consider you sort of dead, but I will get you back. I will save you. And he stands up, and, like, Chief and the other Jetman are also all there. And Guy says, like, you know what? I feel like this, like, this is the beginning like, this is the beginning of the real days of all of us as the Jetman. And everybody, and he sort of, you know, shakes Ryu's hand and everybody else puts a hand on. And now, finally, at episode 32, 
the Jetmen are a single unified team. Like they're all together. There's no internal conflict. It is just them versus the Viram for the fate of the planet Earth. And Good I times. I really like that. I like that it took like listen, like we were a little upset about how long it was taking at some points, but now that it's all happened, I really like how they did it because, you know, like these are a bunch of random dudes that all got thrown into a team and it took them a long time to really like coalesce into a unit. And now like everyone knows everyone else's deal. Like the love hexagon has been solved. Um, they know what the deal is with Ryu and Rie and Maria and that whole thing. And now, like, all their cards are on the table and they can finally just do the dang thing. And it's great. Yeah, it is. It is super, super cool. And then that's the end of the episode. That's it for this week. Yeah, so what, Dave, is your high point of the week? Man, uh, I think my high point is when Guy and Kauri meet Ryu at the swings slash combined with the moment where Guy is angry with Raita for kind of making fun of or talking down on Ryu. But like they're just like they're super cool moments and they're illustrative of like this thing that started out as this like rivalry but has really grown into mutual respect and friendship. And like we just said, it played out over so long it was such a long play uh, that when it co- finally has come together, it's really got a lot more weight than it did if they had only done it over the course of, you know, five or six episodes. Yeah, it's really cool. Honestly, that is that is my high point, too. Like, that bit, all those bits, like the, the, the one at the end earlier than the stuff at the end. And it's very cool because this is a way that Jetman is really different from Die Ranger. Like, these kind of relationships within the team, like, were never really explored in Die Ranger, you know? Yeah, everybody was pretty much, like, on Team Die Ranger, and they were all together when they were fighting the bad guys, and that was like, more there or less was some it. stuff early on where, like, it took them a while to all be as responsible as they ought to be, a.k.a. as responsible as Daigo. Right. Um, but there was never anything like this where it took them 32 episodes to really, like, get each other's backs. Um, and so and it is. seeing it's a it really like cool this moment. is very cool. So low point for this episode? Um, it's just kind of a nitpick, honestly. But remember how I was saying earlier that Lord like G- Remorg, um, mm-hmm. had the power of both of those dudes, potentially the power of everyone in their race ever, also yep. the power of four different like biodimensional bugs like coursing through his veins, um. Didn't it seem like he should have been a lot more difficult to defeat? Yeah, it seemed like separately they were way stronger than they were together, like when they were in their merged form. It was like this ultimate power, like all combined into this one dude, and they just crashed their plane into him and he died. Yeah, that was pretty much it. It's actually semi-related to my point, which again is really nitpicky because it was a great episode. It's just that they combined into the new giant super plane, but they never really explained what was happening. I think they did that before. Oh, okay. I do not remember that being the case. You know, there are so many different configurations of robot in this thing that it's kind of hard to keep track of them all. But I mean, whatever. This was a killer episode. You got anything else to say? 
No, man, I'm sorted out. Okay, uh, well then that is going to do it for another episode of The Jetman, The Golden Gun. Uh, before we finish up here, I'd just like to remind you all you can email the show at supersentaibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or check out what we're talking about on Twitter, we are at Bros. If you like the show, please remember, shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Rate, review, subscribe. That's what's going to help new people find the show. Uh, if you have already done that, thank you very much. Uh, once again, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. We'll see you next week.